Well, we are um, taking just a few verses this morning from Colossians chapter um, 3, verses 15 through 17. And uh, every one of those verses, those three verses, has a different theme uh, connected with it. And so I want to talk to you about the peace, about the word, and about the name of Jesus. Um, and we're going to look at this, this passage together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Well, it starts out with this first passage um, saying, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members you were called, uh, members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. So, what is the peace of Christ? If you're supposed to let it rule in your heart, what is the peace of Christ? And I, I think it comes down to a matter of trust. Um, Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on Jehovah because he trusts in you. You'll be kept in peace if you trust in him. And so I think, you know, that, that peace of Christ is, is just that simple trust in God. And, and one of the results of that is that it guards our hearts and our minds. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it's given to us by Jesus. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 27, uh, you'll see Jesus, and he walks into situations with his disciples. They're out on a boat and they're scared. Um, they're in the upper room um, after the resurrection, but they don't know Jesus has been resurrected, and they're scared of the Jews. And, and wherever Jesus comes to them in those times, he always says to them, peace. And, and here's a place where Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world give, gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If that's basically the trust that God is going to take care of everything, whatever you're going through, God is going to take care of it, what are we supposed to do with it? Well, first of all, he says, let it Allow it, give permission for it to rule in our hearts. Now, that word rule is an athletic term. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a term that basically describes the, the role of the umpire in uh, athletic games. And so that, that judge or that umpire would be able to um, say, no, this, this action is disqualified or this person is disqualified in this game. That umpire made those calls. And so Paul is saying to us that there is a sense in which whether we have the peace of God or not should kind of 
serve as an umpire in our lives in regard to decisions that we make. Um, that umpire lets us know if something is out of place in our lives with God. If there's this peace missing, there's probably someone or something that is out of God's will. And so we need to just back off a little bit and try to, to figure that out and, and sort out and find that peace of, peace of Christ. Um, the word for heart here is, is the word that is continually used throughout the scriptures for heart. It's the, word, the Greek word from which we get cardiac. Uh, heart is cardia. And so cardiac arrest comes from that same, same word that we find in the Greek Bible. Um, but it's, it, it serves as like a, a command center for our lives. And so Paul says, let the peace of Christ serve as an umpire in the command center of your life over the decisions that you make. Now, sometimes those decisions that God gives us peace about are not necessarily the easy choice. They're not the things that we jump at or leap at because we know this is going to be good. Sometimes the peace comes in doing something that we know is difficult or something that we really don't want to do, but it's, it's what we have peace at. And it's what God's Spirit comes and says, okay, you can trust me through this uh, in your life. The peace of Christ, Paul says then, is lived out in community. He says, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So what does that mean? Um, we as members... Um, are called to peace as, as one body. So if, if I have peace in my heart, um, that can be deceptive if it's not also helping the peace in the body. Um, hopefully, uh, that, that's the intent of God's peace, that he not only wants to give us peace individually, but he wants to give us peace within the body of Christ. And peace in the heart can be deceptive, um, if it's just stirring up a lack of peace elsewhere. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And then Romans chapter 14, verse 19 says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding or edification. Now, that doesn't mean that if I have peace and you have peace, that um, sometimes we don't have to work through some differences and all of that that God created among us. Within this body of believers, we all are very different. God created us all very different. We have different personalities. We have different ways of thinking about different things and those kind of things. John Maxwell says, Harmony doesn't mean that we always, always agree. But harmony is when we are all singing the same song with different parts. It's in harmony with each other. Um, it brings fullness and maturity to what we are doing. One of the other things about the peace of Christ and the peace, peace of God coming into our hearts is that you and I will never have true peace of Christ if we are stand, not taking a stand for the things of God and being faithful to the truth. Um, if, if you and I, um, you know, just for the sake of everyone getting along, just tolerate everything, 
that's not going to create peace because you and I have to be at peace with Christ. We, we have to be standing for truth and we have to be standing for the things of God and, and to be at peace with Christ. There's no way I can have peace in my life if I'm at war with God. And so it's always important if, if we're going to have the peace of Christ in our life and in our church that we are in right relationship with God. Paul doesn't teach that there should be peace at any price. Sometimes spiritual peace is like political peace. <laughs> it comes through strength rather than tolerance. And today, you know, our world, what our government is doing, they just kind of think that if we will just tolerate everything, we'll just get along and there'll be peace in the world. Well, obviously that's not working out very well for us, is it? Um, and, and sometimes we can get that same idea spiritually that if we'll just tolerate everything, there's going to be peace. And that's not necessarily the truth. Um, and, and then one of the other things is that not necessarily will all Christians show self-restraint uh, during times of conflict. Um, and sometimes we won't. Sometimes I won't. Um, when we, but then we need that umpire. That, that umpire of peace that calls out and says, time out here, <laughs> before you get carried away, um, you need a time out on your passions and your reactions and all of that, and, and sometimes we need to do that. One of the things that I've learned over the years, I used to think that if there wasn't peace in my heart, if I just wasn't, if there just wasn't peace, that I needed to go do something real fast. Just make a change, you know? And, and I've learned as I get older that probably the opposite is true. That sometimes when I don't have a peace, I need to just step back, slow down, and try to figure out what is the right path. And what does God want me to do in order to create peace in my own heart and in the life of the church or life of whatever uh, I, I'm dealing with. And then I want you to notice the last thing he says there, after he says, let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, he says, and be thankful. I'm going to uh, carry on with that a little bit later in, in the message. The second verse that Paul leads us to in this passage is, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Oh, there I did it. Um, Songs of the Spirit, the new NIV says, Gary's going to die quoting the King James, and I'm going to die quoting the 1984 version of the NIV. Uh, <laughs> so, I, anyway, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So the first word that we see in this verse is the same first word that we saw in the last verse, and that word is let. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. Christ will never push himself on us. We have to allow. We have to give permission. We have to uh, let uh, Christ do what he wants to do. We have to let Christ's peace rule in our hearts. We have to let the word of God dwell among us richly. He's not going to force that on us. It's a choice that you and I have to make. Now, when he says the message, 
of Christ. He's talking there about the Word of God. He's talking about the Gospel. He's talking about the things that Jesus talked about. Um, He's talking about the Gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation. That whole message of, of what Jesus has done for us, He says, let that dwell among us richly. Now, Charles Spurgeon, he encouraged people to get so full of the Word of God that it came out and seasoned even their general conversation. Get to know the Word of God so much and and let it so fill your life that it just kind of bubbles over. And when you don't even realize that the Word of God is starting to seep out of your life, in your conversation, in your speech, and all of that, And then he would say to his congregation, it can't come out of you if it isn't in you. And so we have to make a choice to get the word of God in us and to dwell in us. And and parents, I, I just want to say quickly to you, the best time, the best time to get that in their heads is when they're young. Memorizing scripture is not near as easy for me today. As I come, I'm still quoting from the 1984 version of the NIV. I can read the new one, but I <laughs> appears the 84. <laughs> and the best time for them to know the scriptures, to learn the scriptures, is when they are young. Get them in the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, teach them the scriptures when they are young. That's incredibly important. He says, dwell. And that means that the word of Christ must dwell in our hearts and lives. I um, drove school bus for two days this week, early in the week. And um, that was that was good because it was finally daylight in the morning when I was driving. I kind of knew what I was doing, could see what I was doing. But it used to be when I drove school bus that it didn't matter what school bus you got on. Um, they were all the same. You reached over here to open the door. Uh, and every all the panels, it didn't matter what brand of bus you got on, they were all the same. Everything was the same. That changed a few years ago. And, you know, the first time we got the, the, the bus, uh, the new school bus last summer, I didn't get to drive it till it was one of those, you know, very dark mornings this winter. And it was pitch black, and I, you know, couldn't find where to open the door. It wasn't there, and I kept fumbling around over here trying to find a button that would open the door. And, and I just had all kinds of problems trying to figure out that bus driving. And, and finally, and I, couldn't, and I hadn't driven before, so I didn't know where all the stops were exactly. And finally, one of the little boys yells out, Pastor, are you sure you should be driving us? You don't know anything. <laughs> and he was so right. <laughs> So I had a chance this week to kind of redeem myself a little bit <laughs> and drive in the daylight. But you know what? If, if I drove all the time, I could get on an old school bus in the dark and be just fine because I would know where everything is because I would just kind of dwell in that bus, in that environment. You put me on something new like this and I have to get on and refresh myself. Let's see, I drove last month and yeah, this was there and here and it's all changed. You know, and so I don't dwell on the school bus anymore. I don't know what I'm doing, and I have to refresh and renew and all of that. And Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell 
Make it so commonplace, so every day in your life that it becomes really a part of your life. The Word of Christ needs to dwell so it's just comfortable in us. And it, it can go anywhere. If you walk into somebody's house, um, you know, how many homes can you go into that you have refrigerator rights to? Not very many. I mean, you would just feel a little awkward if you just walked in to somebody's house, house and, you know, just walked right into the, up to the fridge, opened the door and grabbed out what you wanted. You know, but there are a few homes that you can do that in. You can do it in your home. You can do it probably uh, in a few other homes that you have refrigerator rights. God wants us to so live that the Word of God has refrigerator rights in our life. That, you know, we just know uh, the Word of God can go anywhere in my life. The closets, uh, you know, wherever the Word of God wants to go, it dwells there. It's at home there in my life. Now, just as the peace of Christ is lived in community, I want you to see that the message of Christ is lived in community, and Paul specifically relates that to music. He says, let the the message of Christ dwell among you, plural, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, as you teach and admonish, teach, instruct, admonish, correct, give counsel to one another uh, with all wisdom. And then he says through Psalms, Psalms refer to the the Jewish hymn book, the the book of Psalms that we have in our Old Testament. Um, Hymns, one of the, the great features of hymnody is that most of those were written to actually teach a scripture or teach theology. Uh, almost every one of the hymns, Charles Wesley wrote about 6,000 hymns. And, and Charles, most of that inspiration for mo- most of those hymns, John Wesley would, would say, um, Charles, I need you to write a hymn. This is the message I'm preaching. This is the text I'm preaching. I want you to put that sermon, I want you to put that text into a song. And Charles would do that, and then they... Charles, or John would preach to those coal miners at 5 o'clock in the morning as they were going to work. He would preach to them, and then he would teach them that song so that they would sing the hymn and sing the scripture as they went off to work. And it was putting it in their hearts and minds. Um, and just like Come Thou Fount this morning, just that, that little reference, most people today when they sing that verse, they don't know what on earth it's referring to because we don't have the Word of God dwelling within us. But that was the purpose of the hymn, to teach a lot of that theology. And then songs from the Spirit or spiritual songs. Um, a lot of the new music would fall into that category or even scripture songs that we used to sing out of the Um, the old uh, red chorus books that we have. But Paul says, you know, music is such a fabulous way of teaching and admonishing and correcting and encouraging us. Nancy referenced that this morning in Sunday school uh, of how just listening to the message uh, helps her uh, throughout the week. 
The third verse that Paul talks to us about this morning is the name of Christ. So he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the um, message of Christ dwell in us. And then he says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, um, one of the things that I, I failed to mention there, notice in the last uh, part of 16, he says, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So now in verse um, 15, he's talked about, and be thankful. Now he says, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then here he's saying, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Before we go on, I I want you to see those three things, though. The peace of Christ rules our hearts. The message of Christ dwells among us. And the name of Christ is to be honored in everything that we do. I want you to see again that doctrine is always to be lived out. There is no purpose in doctrine that just teaches us something that doesn't change our life. God wants doctrine to be lived out. And so if we're going to honor Christ, if we're going to say that Christ is preeminent, then it needs to change the way we live. And so Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it to honor him. Good theology should result in good living. There is a place for the holiness message today, and it flows right out of Scripture. Christ came to transform us, not to leave us as we were. And every one of us needs to constantly be challenged. God still has more work to do in me. God still has more work to do in you. Don't ever get discouraged and defeated because the work isn't complete yet. But also, on the other hand, don't just give up and say, well, I'm saved and that's all. That's it for me. I just got saved. I got my fire insurance. And when I die, I can go to heaven. And I'm going to continue living as I am. That is not the will of God for you. The will of God is that you should be entirely sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22 or 23. Check it out. God's will is that you should be transformed and your life should be changed. The best thing you can do with your life is to trust it to God and see what he does with it and he will change it. Jesus desires that you and I, that Jesus becomes so central in our life that whatever we do, we think of doing it in such a way that exalts him lifts him up and honors him and brings glory to him. And that's whether we go through tough things or whether we go through good things or whatever is happening. Jesus Jesus wants to become so important to us that whatever we go through, we do it in such a way that exalts him and honors him. Since we've become followers of Jesus, we have taken on a new name. I'm no longer just Adrian. I am a Christian. I follow after Christ. And if you follow name changes in the scriptures, they're always very significant. Names names in general were very important in the scriptures. 
Uh, to Jews, they were very important, and they they named their children, and they expected them to live out the qualities of those names. Uh, and so when you see God rename people in the Scriptures, He does it because He wants to make a mark on the way that they live and on the way they think of themselves. You think of Abram, and he got the new name Abraham. Abram means exalted father, but Abraham means father of many nations. And, and so God was, was saying to Abram, no, I'm giving you a new name because I'm going to do a new thing in your life. And through your generations, uh, the generations that come after you, I'm going to do a great work. And so he gave him a new name. There's Jacob, who means deceiver, and Israel. He, he gets a new name, Israel, and I forgot now what Israel means. But, um, you know, it was significant. It made, it made a great difference. And then there's Simon. And he gets a new name, and, and Jesus calls him, from now on I will call you Peter, which means rock. And on this rock I will build my church. And then there's Saul. And when he gets transformed, God gives him a new name, Paul, and we call him the Apostle Paul. And so we have his name. You and I, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have his name, and I... I need to live better than I would live to honor Adrian Timmons. <laughs> because Adrian Timmons isn't all that great. Now i got to step it up because I have to live my life in a way that honors Jesus and exalts him. And my speech has to honor him, not Adrian Timmons. And, and because you've taken on the name of Jesus, your speech needs to honor Jesus. And your life needs to honor Jesus. And everything that you and I do, it needs to reflect well on Jesus Christ. Now notice, three times in this passage, that he talks to us about thanksgiving. Verse 15, he says, and be thankful. He says to sing songs in verse 16, with gratitude in your hearts. And then he says in verse 17, whatever you do, give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. Wow. Now that was a theme all the way through Colossians. But when you stop and think about where Paul wrote Colossians, he was writing from a Roman prison. And again and again, Paul was telling the Colossians, do it with thanksgiving. Last night as I listened to the howl war, and I, I was wishing I had a whole forest of trees in front of the house. And, and I thought, man, I wonder what it would be like tonight to be in a mobile home <laughs> in this horrible wind. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure there were some people who had some very rough nights, a rough night last night in, in the wind. But you know what? God, God says in all things that you and I, this is God's will that we should give thanks. God wants us to be a thankful people. When you look at, at Colossians chapter 3, these verses here, there's another passage that Paul writes in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses um, 18 through 22. Colossians speaks about being filled with the word. And Colossians, or, or Ephesians speaks about being filled with the spirit. And notice how both passages talk about the same results. Both result in joy, 
Both result in thanksgiving and both result in a submissiveness to God and a submissiveness to others in marriage, in church, in those relationships. And, And so one of the things I want to point out to you today in looking at that is that to be filled with the Spirit opens the door. If you're filled with the Word, it opens the door for the Spirit to roll, just to roam in your life and to do the work that the Spirit wants to do. You need to be in the Word in order for the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to really um, take full control and really fill your life. Um, one, of, one of the other things is... is um, to be spirit-filled is to be filled with the Word of God. Um, and, and to be filled with the Word is an open door for the Holy Spirit just to do its work in our lives. And I just want to encourage you in that today. Um, those two things, they go together and they result in the very same things. But, you know, you're not going to be real strong in the Spirit without the Word of God. And the Word of God is not going to do everything it can in your life without the Holy Spirit. You need those two buckled together um, in your life, working together, and they will result in joy and thanksgiving and submissiveness. So this morning, what is it that God wants to say to us? Let peace rule as an umpire. Let the gospel dwell within us. Give it refrigerator rights in your life. And then um, live your life. Do everything you can in the name of Jesus. And then practice thanksgiving. Just learn to be thankful for small things in your life. One of the things I've been so impressed with Mert in the last couple of years, I, I see a spirit of thanksgiving um, in him. And I, I hear it from his his vocabulary and, and the things he says so often. And and. You know, that wouldn't have to be. But that's God's work. And God wants to do that in every one of us. He wants to make us thankful people.